So good to be with you. And thank you also for those of you who've been praying for Turkey and Syria. Many of you know we took up an offering as a family of churches. It's now hit 400,000 pounds. So that is phenomenal. And, and just, it's so good to be part of a global family of churches. To, we're not a church on our own, but we are together as a family of churches. And to be able to stand with each other, and this is so, so profound. And the churches in Turkey, I just want to tell you, they have responded, oops, they have responded in such an amazing way. Many of them, the day after the earthquake, they got into their cars, they filled their cars with whatever they could find, and they drove into the earthquake zone, which is the size of Germany, uh, that's how big of the area is. And they were just, some of them slept in their cars for two weeks in freezing cold temperatures. I mean, it has had such an impact that lots of the Muslims are saying, why is even the government not helping us? It's the Christians who are helping us. And you know, for those of you who know the situation in the Middle East, Christians are not well thought of in most of the countries there. The, the, their service, their heart, they're putting up tent cities for people to sleep in. It has just been amazing. And excitingly, we now have a team going into Aleppo in Syria. Uh, we have not been able to get into Aleppo up until now uh, and we now have a team going into Aleppo Syria take out of Lebanon taking stuff into that place and they say there is a mini revival going on they've led a family to Christ every day for the last three weeks which is just amazing um, you know and, and this is I want to just extend your prayers in the, for a moment in that you know 1999 there was an earthquake in Yalava and Mikhail and Heike Fauna moved to Yalava to help with the earth after the earthquake 17,000 people died but they stayed on and they planted a church which has now become an apostolic base for the whole of the region. They've planted churches across Turkey, into Iraq, into Iran. They have they've built a training base illegally and then later got retrospective permission. It's a crazy story. I can't tell you with now. Part of it was on a graveyard. The whole thing is crazy. That <laughs> They built this thing illegally. Anyway, got retrospective permission. It was an act of God. They now train Christians right across the Middle East. And I am praying that we get the same base in Aleppo. <laughs> Because Syria needs the gospel. So, yes, we want to pray for relief for the situation right there now. But this is more than that. I just believe that what the enemy plans for evil, God can turn to good. So pray for that and keep praying. And there's just horrendous darkness. The team on the ground saying that the presence of evil, the death, the suffering is just horrible. But amazing stories of breakthrough and miraculous provision. And just one story that's actually been on the news in Turkey because it's so impacted so many people. There was a, an eight-year-old, uh, sorry, a five-year-old boy. He was under rubble for eight days, 192 hours. He was pulled out and the film crews were there. They pulled him out and they asked him, how did you survive? And he said, a man dressed in white brought me food and water and then disappeared. <laughs> So there's like angelic activity mixed in with all, I mean, it's just amazing. So that's what I want to talk on. I want to speak on miraculous provision. We're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 4. So you have in the Bible with you or a phone, you can look it up. It'll be on the screen. But let me just set the scene. This is 9th century BC. So nearly 3,000 years ago, this story is set. And this story is set at a time when Israel, the nation, was at war. Uh, God raised up. They rebelled against God. God raised up a prophet called Elijah. He helped the nation, the people start to turn back to God. God, his time passed, and then a new guy was raised up called Elisha. The Bible does that annoyingly. Sometimes you've got two people with similar names. So Elisha comes second after Elijah, and he starts to impact the people of Israel. And this story is set in that time and his interaction with one woman. It's an amazing story. A little bit of cultural context 3,000 years ago, there were no banks. So if you, you got into debt, you got sick, you couldn't work, you had financial troubles for whatever reason. 
you had nowhere to go apart from the moneylenders. And the moneylenders obviously wanted to know that they were going to get their money back. How could they? You had no surety. You probably didn't own your own house. You were probably renting. So how did they know they were going to get their money back? Well, you had to put up something as surety. And in those days, all you had were your kids. So you would put your kids up as surety. And if you defaulted on your debt, your kids would become debt slaves until they could work to pay off the debt. Pretty bleak. But that was the situation that they were living in. I know some of you are thinking, I wouldn't do that to the kids, but maybe the dog. Maybe I could mortgage the dog. No, don't mortgage the dog. You can't, I'm not sure it's legal. But that's the situation. Of course, many people across the world still live in that sort of situation where their kids have to be put up as surety. It's desperate, desperate times. So we're going to read this. I'd love, if I can have a microphone, I'd love someone to come down the front and read it for us. We're going to read it twice, actually. Um, so anyone, have I got a willing volunteer who would like to come and read it? Come, Joss, come. Fantastic. So we're going to read it so just on two slides, Charles. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. Soon, every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you or your sons can live on what is left over. Fantastic. Love that story. Thank you, Josh. Great reading. I was going to read it twice, but I've just looked at the time. So we're not going to read it twice. But what I want you to do is I want you to get in groups of three or four, just where you are, because I want us to look at this passage first before I speak onto it. And I want you to answer these two simple questions. In the context of miraculous provision, which is our subject today, what does this passage tell us about God and what does it tell us about people? In the context of miraculous provision, what does this story teach us about God? What does it teach us about people? Because it's the word of God that changed their lives. So just turn around, get in groups of three or four. If uh, On visuals, if you could just flick back between the scriptures so that people can see it. In the context of miraculous provision, what does it tell us about God? And what does it tell us about people? What does it tell us about us?
What can you learn about God? What can you learn about people, about us, in the context of miraculous provision? Okay, you got 30 more seconds. <laughs> if you're online, you can answer these questions in the chat. Turn back this way. Okay, you're going to have to shout out from where you are. I'll repeat it for those who are online. What do we learn about God? What do we learn about people in the context of miraculous provision? You're going to get busted if you just were talking about what you're having for lunch now, because I'm asking you. <laughs> what, what can we learn? He is our provider. Yes, yes. He's a miracle-working God. We're not following an ordinary God, <laughs> as if there could be such a thing. He's a miracle-working God. Yeah, what else? Say again? He's a God of abundance. This was like more than she needed, actually. Not just enough to pay the debts off, but there was more. Yeah. More than we needed. So that God is making that point. Yeah, <laughs> go for it. He is faithful. Yeah, what makes you say that? Yeah. Yeah, so in this context of faithfulness, God was faithful, yeah. Yes, he has a way of coming up with solutions and helping people out of uh, something that we wouldn't expect out of oil. Yeah, over here. Say again. He wants our trust, or do you say he works on our trust? He works on our trust. Yeah, her faith grew, didn't it, through this story. Yeah, amazing, yeah. He's a way maker. Should we break into song? Go on, lead us. <laughs> <laughs> I know a song about that. <laughs> yeah. He uses the little that we have. He starts with the little. Yeah, over here. Yeah, he cares about the widow. This situation is about a widow, and God, you know, is interested in the widow. He cares about their situation. Yeah, the back. He's already provided. She already had it in the house. She just didn't know what God was going to do. Oh, this is a great sermon. I'm loving this. Just at the back here, yeah, over here. It was a blessing from God. He's a blessing, God. Yeah. He hears us and he sees us. He hears our prayers. He's not disinterested. Yeah, right at the back, last one. Yeah. Yeah, it's, about, uh, it's not about our coming up with this. It's just us obeying what, what he calls us to. Yeah, really good. Wow, that was a great sermon, guys. We're done. That's it. <laughs>
You should come to my office on a Wednesday morning when I'm trying to prepare. That would be amazing if you wouldn't mind. So, so good. I love it because the people of God can hear from God through his word. That's what this is all about. But let me just a few uh, things that came to me. Firstly, God is looking for faith. That's what this story is about, isn't it? He is looking for faith. And you've got this woman in a desperate situation. She brings, you know, her, her husband was a man of faith and she was a woman of faith. She's in a desperate time, but she does what she knew. In those days, you couldn't, you weren't taught to come to God directly. You came through the man of God. In our days, we know that we can approach God directly, but she comes to the man of God and she does what she knows. She brings her faith and what happens is she mixes it with Elisha's faith and together they see this extraordinary miracle. Together they see this extraordinary miracle. God is looking for faith. This is what it says in 2 Chronicles 16. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking for faith. And notice, I think the danger with faith can be like, I've got to kind of work this up on my own. We have such an individualistic thinking. But notice this miracle happens in the context of community. That we don't have to just work up our faith on our own, that we do it in community. Sometimes my faith is weak and wavering, but yours is strong, so we stand together. That's why we want authenticity, because if no one knows what you're going through, no one can stand with you in faith. Don't feel like the mature Christian is the one who's got perfect faith in every situation. No, the, perfect, the mature Christian is the one like this woman who comes in her hour of need and says, Look, I've not got much, but I am desperate. She comes into the context of community and it's their faith together. Her little faith, she knew enough to come and his faith mixed together create this extraordinary miracle. Hebrews 11 says, it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. That gives you the formula of faith. What is faith? Hebrews 11 says, it's belief in God. You've got to believe in God. Many Christians believe in God, of course. But it's more than that. It's belief mixed with what? Expectancy. That when you come to him, he rewards those who seek him. Even the demons believe in God, the Bible says, and they shudder. Belief in God is not enough. It's when you pray, do you come to a father who actually cares? Who actually will reward you for coming to him? And if you don't when you pray, if you've not got that in your heart, then go back to the scriptures until you've got that in your heart. Until you've seen him for who he is and then pray. Then pray from, that, that, from that, that basis. A woman comes to God via Elisha and together they have expectancy. Notice he says, get some jars and not a few. <laughs> he has expectancy that God is gonna do something extraordinary, a miracle that had never been done before. I believe there's people in this room are gonna see miracles that have never been done before. Why not? When you come to the God who's, who can do these things, why not? Secondly, faith grows best in difficult soil. I do not know a lot about gardening, as my wife could testify. Can I have a hallelujah? But one thing I have learned is this. Different plants grow in different soil. They prefer different soil. And the bad news I have for you today is that faith grows best in difficult soil. I wish I could tell you that faith grows best when you're sitting by the pool with your cocktail. You know, I, would, I don't like cocktails, but I would learn to like them if that's how faith grew. I'd sit by every pool I could, I'd sip away and watch my faith grow. But sadly, faith grows best, and that faith does sometimes grow by the pool, but faith grows best in difficult soil. I mean, put yourself in this woman's situation. She's lost her husband. She's about to lose her kids to slavery. There's no social services. There's no structure around her to help her. She's a widow. She's utterly alone. 
And yet in that place, her faith grows. The little thread that she had, the trust in God that she had grows, such that we're now still talking about her miracle 3,000 years later. Faith grows in that place. You know, just a little bit of my story. Uh, some years ago, God told us that we were meeting in a school hall and he told us he was going to give us a building. And so we knew that we had to raise money for that building, the building we're sitting in today. And so I, I hate asking people for money. You just need to know that about me. I hate it. I, I just, I don't, I'm not a big fan of public speaking as it stands, but I hate particularly speaking about money. Anyway, so then we knew, okay, we've got to go through this journey of raising money. And I said in the team, well, why don't we ask for 20,000 pounds? And Royden Lovely, who's one of our elders, said, Simon, 20,000 pounds is not going to buy us anything. We need to ask for 200,000 pounds. And I threw up a little bit in my mouth at that point. <laughs> but anyway, I did it. That year, and the next year, and the next year, I did it for five years. And we got the money for this building, amazingly, got this place. But then the, the needs kept going, we had to refurbish it, so we needed more money. So then I did it again and again. So by this time, I'd been doing it for 10 years, every year, standing up, preparing the booklet, preparing the whole thing, and I hated every minute of it. And some of you were here, and I got to year 10, and I had a little mini breakdown on this stage. And midway through my preach, I just stopped and I was like, I hate this. I hate this. I hate doing this. I hate asking for money. I hate every bit of it. I've hated every bit of it for the last time of you were here. It was not the best giving preach. <laughs> I don't think anyone was blessed. But I tell you what, it was so cathartic. I felt so much better after it. I was like, this is, I, I was, it was like a group counseling session and I was the counselee. And you know what? Something broke in that moment. In that moment, something broke and suddenly I got to some space of freedom and faith. Such that a few years ago when God said, raise £100,000 in two weeks for, for the COVID for those that have got no, uh, uh, no one to help them. I was like, all right. And so I did it and we raised £680,000. And then we raised a million pounds for Ukraine. And then we raised now 400,000 pounds for Turkey and Syria. And I didn't even really tell many people. It was just in a small prayer meeting. And I said, I'm believing God for 250,000 pounds. A quarter of a million pounds. And I just said, oh yeah, I'm just believing God for a quarter of a million pounds. I was in a meeting last week with a group of Catalyst leaders, uh, apostolic leaders for our family of churches. And one of them said, well, of course, Simon is known as the guy who's got a gift for faith for raising money. And I'm like, how did I become that guy? I hated doing this stuff. Now, the point is this, not to say something about me, but to say something about God. Because if he can take my pathetic faith and grow it, as I bring it in the soil of difficulty to him, just imagine what he can do with you and your situation and your needs. Because it's not that, I used to think that faith was like this static thing that, you, you know, some people you'd see them as Christians that had this great faith and, well, you know, I must have been at the back of the queue and I had little faith, you know. <laughs> I got the dregs, you know, <laughs> that was hand. No, no, no. It doesn't matter what you start with, you're, as soon as you understand this principle, your faith can grow. And it grows in the soil of difficulty and adversity. And it's in that place as you bring your trust to God, he will do amazing things beyond anything that you thought he could do through you. Faith grows in difficult soil. I'm not saying that to big me up, but to big God up and to show you what he can do if you will just give it Give your situation to him, give your life to him and say, God, use me. I want to be a blessing to the world around us. I want to be a blessing. It's not about the money. God has got enough money. He's not short of money. What he's looking for is our faith in him to grow in this process. 
Third thing, we brought, somebody made this point, a couple of people, God starts with what you have. The question Elisha asked her is, what do you have? God loves to start with what you have. Notice that oil, the oil jar uh, was all she had, and that's all she brought. The story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, it's a similar story. 5,000 people, probably 10,000, including women and children, no food for three days. Jesus says, well, what we got? Small boy with a lunch, five loaves and two fishes. It was a big lunch, actually. He was quite pleased with it until Jesus started saying what we got. And he was the only, he was like, how come no one else has thought of this? You're meant to be the adults here, and he's the only one who's brought his lunch. Praise God for all the mums and dads who pack a big lunch. This was your forefather, your foremother, <laughs> packed a big lunch. And so there's this boy with his lunch, and he gives what he has to Jesus, and Jesus multiplies it and you see the incredible miracle of provision you know our vision is huge we want to raise 170,000 pounds we want to give 10,000 of that to Syria and Turkey we, we want to see uh, uh, the poor cared for in our community we want to see groups and churches multiply we're starting a new location in Blunham I want every house in this in this uh, 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 in our town in our region to have an opportunity to hear the gospel I want there no place left where no one has heard the gospel I want the kingdom of God to fill the earth that's our vision and the danger might be as individuals, we could think, well, what can I do? Well, the message of the widow is quite clear. Bring what you have. Bring what you have. Bring it in faith and trust that God will multiply it, as we've seen him to do again and again. You know, we used to run a night shelter for the homeless. We've, uh, the King's Arms Project has moved on to other ways of providing for the homeless now. But um, back in the day, I remember there was a, a time when the team, one of the ladies was preparing the evening meal, the morning shift would prepare and the evening shift would cook it. So she was preparing it, she cut up all the potatoes and the pot was two thirds full. And so um, she left the pot on the stove, big pot with a big old pot with a lid on it. And on the evening shift arrived and they saw this pot and on the note, there was a note on the lid and they read the note and it said, you're gonna have to go and buy uh, uh, more potatoes because there's not enough potatoes for all the people who are coming tonight. Um, but before you go and buy them, check the pot because I have prayed. I mean, who's, who leaves a note like that? <laughs> well, she did. They got the note. They looked in the pot. The pot was full of potatoes. They had enough for the whole... <laughs> for the whole uh, and we've seen that again, miracles like that again and again and again. Bring what you have. God's not worried about money. He wants to, us to bring to him in faith what we have and watch what he will do. Last thing is this, miracles happen in our hands. The bread was multiplied in the hands of the disciples. You remember, those of you who remember that story, it wasn't like Jesus clicked his fingers and then this huge pile of bread and fish appeared. It was as the disciples went out in obedience and started to give it out, they realized, we've got enough here. In fact, they had baskets left over. The oil pot didn't suddenly explode to 20 times its size. It was the same oil pot. She just began to pour it in obedience and God provided. So often God calls us on the step of faith and we're thinking, I haven't got enough to pay for this. But it's a journey of faith. And as we take one step after another, he does the miracle. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And Paul uses in that passage a word that's not easily translated. It's huper ek perisou. Do you want to say that with me? Huper ek perisou. 
hooper ek parasu. In fact, he goes one extra because he says hooper hooper ek parasu. And it can't, you can't really translate it and the, transla- the translators fumble around with it because the word actually means super, super abundantly, which just doesn't translate very well into English. Paul's saying he is able, because nothing's impossible for God, to do, because he's not passive or inactive as God. He's able to do what we ask, because he hears our prayers, as somebody made that point, what we ask or think, because he even hears the prayers that we don't pray. Anyone had a prayer that you didn't pray answered? He even hears those prayers far more abundantly, super, super abundantly. You know, I'm praying that out of this journey, we come out as a people who see more clearly the super, super abundant God. And we see him as he is. He is the multiplying God, the miraculous God. He is the one who gives us what we need, not just for ourselves, but the overflow. Some of you might think, well, you know, my mortgage is, you know, I'm paying the mortgage off, we've got enough for our family. You know, we're we're doing okay, actually. I would say, if that's your faith, then extend it. (laughs) Because even the unbelievers look after themselves and their own. We've got to be a kingdom people and have vision for people around us. Who's got a vision to pay off the debts of your neighbor? Who's got a vision to provide the income for somebody else who hasn't got one? Who's got a vision to start a charity that will help somebody else? We've got to be a people who say, God, you're the super, super abundant God. I don't just want to have vision for me and mine. I want to have vision for those around us that we could give beyond, like the Turkish church have modeled so beautifully. I want to be throwing stuff in my car and driving somewhere and giving out such that the, those who are even non-followers of Christ say, why is it the Christians are the ones looking after us? I love the story of Hattie Mae Wyatt. She was a six-year-old girl, lived in Philadelphia, and there was a Sunday school that she went to, and the Sunday school was too small. It was really crowded. And so she said to the pastor, we need a bigger Sunday school. When are we going to get a bigger Sunday school? It's too small. He's like, when we can afford a bigger building, we will. Well, sadly, two years later, she died, eight years old. Very sad story. But under her pillow, they found a little bag, and in the bag was 57 cents. And a note that said, This is towards the new Sunday school so that all the children can fit in the Sunday school. Well, the minister took that 57 cents and he asked people to buy buy off him one cent at a time. And he made $250. And people gave him back the $250 and actually 54 of the people gave him back 54 of the cents. So now he had $250 and 54 cents. And he did the same again. He split it into cents and he gave it away. Well, 26 years later, he tells the story. They now had a church with a membership of over 5,600 people. They had a hospital where tens of thousands of people had been treated. They had paid for 80,000 young people to go through university, and they'd sent 2,000 people out to preach the gospel. All off the back of 57 cents. Bring what you have to the super, super abundant God and watch him do miraculous provision. This is about this offering. I'm believing God for this, but for me, it's about so much more than that. It's about what he does in our hearts. We break all the rules of giving messages. Some people say to me, I've never been in a church where the pastor tells people in a giving message not to give money if they don't want to. That's nuts, because I believe in a God who's super, super abundant, and he wants our joy-filled giving. He wants us to give out of the overflow, out of the joy of our hearts because of what Christ has done for us, not begrudgingly and reluctantly because someone manipulated them into it. If you don't want to give, don't give. But if you want to partner with what God is doing around the world, then give. Bring your 57 cents or whatever it is for you. For some, it's small. For some, it's a lot. 
bring it, let's put it together and in a community of faith, let us grow in faith and expectation for him to do what only he can do. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? I just want to pray for us very quick. I know we're out of time. Josh is going to come up. I just want you to open your hands because I really, I just really felt that God is going to do something in us as we give. Come Holy Spirit. Just pray for a release of faith in this room. If you felt something shaking off you today, that's been, you've been uptight about money, you've been in fear, there's so much fear about money, I just want to pray for the next generation coming through. You're told you're not going to have enough, you're not going to be able to buy a house, you won't be able to afford to have kids. We want to break that off you. That is not true if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. He gives you exactly what you need. So shake that stuff off. If you come from a family that had a poverty mindset, shake that off now. We just pray, God, God, will you release the sense of faith and super, super abundance in our hearts that we would know that we have enough for what we need to do all that you're calling us to do. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for miraculous provision to break out through this room and across this room. I pray for charities to be started. I pray for debts to be paid off. I pray for debts of other people to be paid off. I pray, God, will you help us to be kingdom people such that people say, why is it the Christians are looking after us? And we're able to say it's because we follow a super abundant God and he has given us more than enough and it overflows. Why don't you come and meet him? Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Fire of God, fill us. Fill us with faith now. Let there be gifts of faith across this room. Some of you, I just felt like some of you, you realize that, yeah, I'm, I'm coping for me and mine. I'm providing for me and mine. That's some of the guys in the room. But the Lord has just challenged you today to stretch your faith beyond you and yours. If that's you, just raise your hand. I just really felt that God, yeah, come Holy Spirit. Gifts of faith that go beyond just me and mine. Just say, come Spirit of God. Let us be kingdom people as a result of today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.